And this morning, uh, some of you, and I'm looking across, I'm trying to scan the, the crowd, and the only runner that might be possible in here, I'm going to say Todd has ran many miles in his life. Because as you can see, looking at me, I've not ran very much. Because if I did, I would, I would be a lot smaller than I am now. But this morning, with the Lord being our helper, we're going to preach on a race well run. Say that three times fast. A race well run. And so this morning, with the Lord being our helper, we're going to try and bring out some things that I hope uh, will encourage you to uh, be a better Christian. Uh, but also, if you're not a Christian, I pray that today's sermon is for you uh, because I would love nothing more than to see somebody accept Christ as their Lord and Savior today. Uh, that's what we're all about. That's what we're here for, is to, to win people to Christ. And uh, so we're, we're going to get into the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, I'll ask you to stand with us this morning for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to start reading at verse number 24 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 24. And the Word of God says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as humble as we know how. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your scripture today. We ask, Father, that you would be with us in this uh, service today. And I ask you today, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, for I cannot preach without the help of the Lord. Father, I cannot uh, do anything that I do uh, without your grace and your mercy upon us. Father, I ask that you hide me behind the cross today. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach with the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your bountiful blessings on us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the uh, songs that have been sang. And uh, Father, for each and every individual that has uh, given to my family. Father, I thank you for the love and the support that they have shown for the countless prayers that they have prayed. And Father, I pray that you would help our church. God, we are going through a trial right now, but God, I know that you will bring us through on the other side even greater than we were before we entered. And God, I pray that you would help us today, Lord, to get ourselves out of the way and allow you to do a change here, to do a, a work in our heart so that we can be better for you. Help us to run this race. Help us, oh God, to run a race well run. Father, we love you today. God, be with us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In order to finish the race this morning and receive the reward, and I'm going to show you that reward is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, if I run here on earth, the reward better be a slice of cake or a bowl of ice cream or I don't need no gold medal. It ain't going to do nothing for me. It's just going to sit on sit on my locker or sit in my bedroom and, and just collect dust. I don't need no medal. Uh, but if you see me running, you know either a bear's after me or there's food in front of me. Uh, so that's the only reason that you should ever see me running. Uh, unless the Holy Spirit gets on me and then I run these aisles, and that's a different story. But uh, 
spiritually speaking, in order to finish the race uh, well and receive the reward, which is Christ, we must condition ourselves to be obedient to the things of the Spirit. If we are on a baseball, football, basketball, hockey, soccer, or any other competitive sports team, our coaches will put us through strength and conditioning first to make sure that we are able to sustain in the heat, in the cold, and in the duration of the match or game or race. How many of you played sports? I played baseball most of my life up until high school, uh, and it seemed like when I hit high school, everything changed in the game of baseball. Uh, you know, in elementary school and little league baseball, you just go out there and have fun, right? And if you win, great. And listen, I was so competitive that I hated losing. Uh, but I, I remember uh, in Little League, it seemed like we didn't have any conditioning. Our coaches never made us uh, uh, really go to practice until the season began. But in high school, when I hit high school and middle school, we started conditioning four months before the season ever approached us. And we would start running. And I thought, my goodness, I've never done so much running my entire life. And I promise you, I ain't done that much since. But what I'm trying to say is that prior to the season even beginning, before you go through the fundamentals of the game, before you learn how to uh, throw to your partner, to throw uh, uh, balls to first base to get the runner out, or uh, before you pick up a bat and you swing uh, to get your timing down for the pitching uh, in high school, before you do any of that, you've got to get your bodies in shape. You've got to get your bodies physically prepared for a nine-inning ball game. And the same way with basketball. Basketball season, it starts during football season for most players. And they are running and they're doing drills and they're doing different things because it conditions their bodies to perform at the best level that it can when the game is for real. And we, as Christians, have to do the same thing. We must condition ourselves every day that we live so that when we get in difficult situations, when we get into the battle... Uh, and and I, I, I talk a lot about military things, even though I have limited knowledge about it. But I know that Todd is here. And uh, before you go to war, you've got to physically prepare for the elements. You've got to physically prepare your body for the extremities that you're about to face. That's the same way with the Christian life. We have to prepare our spiritual lives for the greatest moments that we might face. Some of you may look at our church and see that our church is suffering. Well, how have you prepared spiritually to handle this spiritual attack? How have you uh, prepared for the valley or the trial that you're going through? It's all about preparation. See, Christ has already won the race. Can we say amen? Christ, when He died on the cross, He fin like Paul said, He said, I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Amen? Jesus Christ, when He yielded up the ghost, He finished the course. He won, excuse me, He won the race that day. And all He has done is ask us to run this course. He's not, listen, our prize is Jesus Christ. We're not trying to win the race because Christ has already won. What we are trying to win in our spiritual lives is Jesus Christ. Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3 that uh, uh, he said, uh, let's see here, in verse number uh, 8, I believe it is, uh, 
he said, Yea, Dallas, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He didn't say that I may win the race. Okay? He didn't say I, that I might win the ball game. He didn't say that I might win the war because he already knew where the victory was. He already knew who his victor was, and all he had to do was claim that victory in Jesus Christ. So this morning, listen, there ain't no sense in us walking around with our heads down and our lips pooched out because we're sad and depressed and hurting. Listen, you can claim the victory today because Jesus Christ has already won the war, He's already won the ball game, and He's already finished the race. And He has accomplished these things as an example, as a forerunner set before us, so that when we experience diverse situations, when we walk through trials and when we do different things, uh, when the devil throws us uh, another curveball, that we are physically prepared to handle that situation. And it's all so that we might win Christ. You're not going to join a ball team and expect to be a starter, unless you're Bob, the first day that you play. You're not going to join a team and expect to be a starter or play in the game at all if you don't show up for practices. You may just be a spectator, a fan, a bystander, or worse, an equipment manager. What are you today? Listen, I don't know about you, but I was always pushing myself to be a starter. I didn't want to settle for less. I didn't want to settle to be a bench warmer. I didn't. I certainly did not want to settle to be an equipment manager. You know, a, equipment manager is that ball player who misses practices, who doesn't really care uh, how they perform or how the coaches see them. They're the ones that's usually running laps at practice. And, and, and the equipment manager, because nobody has volunteered to do that, the worst player on the team, they get that job. They get the equipment manager position. May I say to you today that the person who is not giving their all to Christ, who is not running the race with all their might, soon will take the position of an equipment manager. I'm getting to uh, my, my sermon. That's just an introduction, so that, that part's free. You're welcome. But what I want to talk to you about is how that we could, and what really stuck out to me, and I preached this message a few weeks ago uh, at the Grace Free Old Baptist Camp meeting, and, and when the Lord started dealing my heart about this sermon, uh, the phrase, what He said here in verse 27, He said, Lest that by any means I myself should be a castaway. Now, uh, if he brings it, you'll see here, and I'm, I'm big about gr grammar. And if you're here on Wednesday nights, you know that I bring out some gr grammatical things. Uh, but notice, he said, lest that by any means, comma, when I preach to others, comma, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was a preacher to the Gentiles. But not only to the Gentiles, but he was also a preacher to the Jews. But I, I would like for you to put that in there. Lest that by any means, when I go to work, because see, he placed that thought. If we took out when I preached to others, it would say, lest that by any means I myself should be a castaway. 
Let me say this. Lest that by any means I myself should be an equipment manager. Nobody wants that. And I promise you today that God does not want you to become a castaway. A castaway is the same as an apostate person. Somebody who has denounced the faith. Somebody that has totally left the army and joined the enemy's camp. You don't want to be a castaway today. By the Lord being our helper today, I want to show us how that we can uh, stay away from being a castaway. In our text today, we see Paul, who is a Jew by all accounts, head and shoulders more intelligent than most commoners, but I believe he was perhaps the best fit, physiologically speaking, as well, and he exercised godliness in his life just as well, if not more. See, I believe that the Apostle Paul was physically fit. I believe that he probably had muscles on top of muscles. He probably had a six-pack. He, I mean... His legs was probably as big as my head. And I'm just imagining, okay, this is not Scripture, so please don't misunderstand me this morning. But what I'm trying to do is paint the picture of a well-established athlete. I believe that Paul was well-established. I believe people looked at him uh, as a role model. I think people looked at him uh, uh, to see how that they could, uh, you know, all of us fat people, we, we uh, uh, sometimes look to uh, men who have lost weight and who have got physically fit and that becomes what we want to look like. Uh, and I'm not saying that I do that, but I'm saying that sometimes people look to somebody else who they know has went through the work, who's went through the trials, who's withstood the temptations. And I believe the people of that day and time looked to Paul because they seen all of his life, the encounters that he had how that he was a persecutor of the church, how that after he accepted Christ, he was stoned at Iconium and Antioch, how that he was cast out of the cities, how he was imprisoned, and all the, uh, the trials that he faced. But I believe that he kept himself physically fit so that he could handle the elements that he was in. But greater than that, I believe he kept himself spiritually fit so that when the enemy attacked, he knew how to win. And he knew where his help came from. And his help comes from Jesus Christ. When he had a thorn in the flesh, he asked the Lord to remove it three times. And the Lord said, no. He said, but my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, in your weakness, then am I made strong. And Paul said, I'd rather glory in mine infirmities so that Christ would be made strong. He was spiritually fit and in one uh, uh, part of the scripture, he said uh, that bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Dr. David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association once said, if America goes down, it will not uh, go down, because, uh, it will not be because the heathen were victorious. It will be because God's people did not stand. America will not go down because the heathen were victorious. It will be because God's people did not stand. And listen, if you are not spiritually fit, when the trials of this life and when the, uh, the bad things come, when we face a worldwide pandemic, if you are not spiritually fit, you will sit down and go to sleep. 
That's why we see the church of America all over the world asleep. They're not standing up. They're not fighting. They're not doing anything. And they're letting wickedness prevail. It is time for God's people to wake up, get in shape, and run this race. He's not called us to be a bench warmer. He's called us to participate. And when these things come up against us, we ought to stand. We ought to speak up. Just like Brother Brandon preached last night, he said, you got to get in Christ. And I loved what he preached on. He, he said, you first got to get in Christ. Then you got to get out of your comfort zone so that you can get going with Christ. But before you ever get going, you got to get in. Hey, before your vehicle ever leaves this parking lot, you got to get in. Amen. You got to get in the vehicle. And before you ever hit the turnpike, you got to get out of the parking lot. You got to get out of the comfort zone. So before you ever get going with God, you're going to have to get in and get out and get going. I loved what he preached last night. It, it really spoke to me. But that's the same way when running a race. You got to get in the you got to get in the you got to get in the game. You got to get off the sidelines. It's comfortable on the sidelines. That's where all the fresh water is. You got to get out of the sidelines and get in the race so that you can pursue Christ. That leads me to my first point this morning. We got to be on the winner's side. You cannot run this race well if you are on the opposite team. I don't care if you come every Sunday morning. Whose team are you on? I don't, it doesn't matter if you belong to the Free Will Baptist denomination. Whose team are you on? It doesn't matter if you come to church religiously, but whose team are you on? Because you cannot finish the race well if you're on the wrong side. You've got to be on the side that Jesus is the captain. Amen. I've preached for the last two weeks the captain of our salvation. He's our captain. He is the captain of this team. So we must be on the winner's side. There are rewards and prizes for everyone who has been born again. You cannot receive the prize for it is uh, Jesus Christ if you have not been born again, regenerated, which is a new birth, or changed. Saying you're a Christian don't make you a Christian. Saying I love Jesus does not make you a Christian. There has to be a regeneration of the heart by the Holy Ghost. Read Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. There has to be a change take place. You must be born again, Christ said in uh, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 7. He said, Christ, uh, I, uh, let me say this, that uh, without knowing Christ, you cannot receive the prize. For Christ, He is our prize. So run that you may obtain. So run uh, could be better interpreted, uh, get on the winning side, which is the Lord's side. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, I mean in uh, chapter 3, I've already read verse 8. Uh, notice verse 9, it says, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him. Verse number 10, that I may know Him. What was Paul saying? He was saying, I'm on the winner's side. I know who my leader is. 
I know who my captain is. I know the one who goes before me. He's already endured the suffering. He's already endured all the trials. And I can trust Him because He knows what's best for me. Listen, you're not going uh, to want to play for a ball coach who hasn't got coaching experience. If they don't have multiple years of coaching experience, and if you can't see how they have progressed in wins and, and, and things like that, winning percentage, you don't want them on your side because they're not trustworthy. But somebody who has a good record, a, a, a good winning record, uh, somebody who is competent to, to get the job done, to condition the athletes, uh, to get them to perform at a, at a better level, that's who you want. And let me say this, Christ is the man. Christ, He's the one you want. Because when we lead ourselves, we get defeated. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. The word, uh, let, let me see here in verse number 11, He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus of Christ Jesus, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He is our prize. The word apprehend comes from the Greek transliteration, katalambano, and it means to take eagerly or seize possession. And the word press comes from the Greek uh, transliteration diako, and it means to ensue, follow after, or given to suffer persecution. I press toward the mark. I said this. It's kind of like when uh, you're going to hear a lot of baseball stories because I, uh, when I talk about a game or running, I, I honestly don't know a whole lot about running a race. I've never been in a relay race. Uh, I've never ran track or anything like that, so my knowledge is very limited. But I can put it into baseball terms for you. And I can tell you this. There's been times uh, that we've played in very long games. Uh, but I'm going to use a Major League Baseball uh, analogy because I'm a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Uh, and so uh, let's say that we're uh, in the uh, 13th inning. The, the score is tied 2-2, two to two, the 13th inning, and the home team is at bat. If the home team scores – Ball game's over. Right? That's the way it goes. It's 2-2 two to two in the 13th inning. And let me tell you something. It don't matter how much conditioning you do. After you make it past the ninth inning, you're wore out. Your body is at its wit's end. You're exhausted. All it, now, all it comes to now is mental toughness. How tough are you going to be mentally? In the 13th inning, your body is wore out. It's two to two. You've got a runner on first and third. It's a two-two count, and you're the one at bat. You've got two balls and two strikes on you. What are you going to do? 
You're not going to wait on the perfect pitch. You can't. Because if you do, that curveball that just covers the black on the outside that you were too scared to take a swing at, you're going to strike out looking. And that potentially could lose the game for you. No. As the batter behind the plate, you're going to press to make sure that you get a piece of that ball. If it's a foul ball, that's fine. You get another opportunity. But you are going to press. You might even scoot into the plate a little bit, right? If any of you has played softball or baseball, when you have to press, sometimes you just kind of hug the plate a little bit so that if the ball is outside, you can hit it to the opposite field. Sometimes you might even scoot in front of the box. Whatever you have to do, because you're mentally prepared, okay? You've been preparing all season long to hit the go-ahead run. Now it's mental toughness. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying we condition ourselves the entire life that we live with Christ. We should get in the Word of God and mentally prepare ourselves for this time that we might have to press. Listen, we've been going through something here at the church and I've had to press into the Lord. I've had to get closer to Him because I know that He can hit the home run. Amen. He will help you win the game if you will press into Him. If you will do what He asks you to do. But you've got to be on the winner's side. If you're not on the winning side today, friend, you can be. All you have to do is repent of your sin and ask the Lord to forgive you. Runners in a relay race carry a baton. And as they approach their assignment, they press toward or lunge forward to cross over for better time as they uh, pass the baton to the next runner. Next, I find that we've got to train ourselves to be spiritually fit. I'm going to have to speed up uh, um, the sermon just a few minutes. The word temper in all things means to be self-disciplined or exercise self-control or yields to the spirit rather than to the flesh. In Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13, says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. How can we endure if we're not physically prepared? If we're not spiritually in shape, it's going to be very hard for you to endure. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 24, you know that it's talking about the tribulation period. You know that it talks about the end times. You know that it talks about the coming of the Son of Man. Listen, I believe that we're seeing a lot of things that are leading us to the tribulation period. Now, whether we're here during the tribulation, that don't matter. I personally believe I'll be raptured out before then. But some believe you'll be raptured out during the middle of it. Some believe you'll go all the way through the tribulation before the Lord calls you home. Whatever you believe doesn't really matter. Our doctrinal stance past the cross doesn't really matter. But what matters is that we go to the cross, amen? That we get forgiven, that we become sons and daughters of God. 
But let me say this. No matter how you believe pertaining to the tribulation period, you're going to have to endure some things. We're all having to endure this worldwide pandemic. Yes, I said endure because I don't think there's anybody in America that says, yep, I am so enjoying the coronavirus pandemic. I am so enjoying having to wear my mask at work all day long. I know your kids ain't coming home and say, oh, mama and daddy, I just love wearing my mask in school. They ain't nobody enjoying it. Like I preached last night, there is everybody in the world is hurting in some way. And Jesus is the answer. But what I'm saying, friend, is that the child of God is going to have to endure some suffering. The child of God is going to have to endure some trials and persecutions. But if you are not physically and spiritually fit to endure those trials, it'll be easy for you to throw in the flag and give up. A coward in the service will find no place. Keep on the firing line. Is that not how that song goes? A coward in the service will find no place. Keep on the firing line. Listen, sometimes we have to press. Other times we have to endure. Other times we have to endure in the race. Many have said that the Christian life is not a sprint to see who wins the prize, uh, but rather a, 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 a marathon or perhaps a triathlon to where he or she that endures to the end, Jesus said, the same shall be saved. Now my father-in-law, he runs in half marathons and I think he's trying to prepare for a marathon and, and different things. Now the first runner always, I know that they give a prize or some money or something to the first runner across the finish line. But you know what? Almost everybody that runs receives something. A t-shirt. It's, it might be, I mean, I know it might be something small, but almost everybody who participates in that marathon receives a prize. May I say to you that if you're running with Christ, if you're running in this race, you too will receive a prize. Gibbs said no one runs to win without making a decision. So I say, win in your prayer life. Win in your witness. And in your faithfulness to God, His Word, and His church. One who lives so close to being wrong but tries to stay on the right side will suffer great loss of rewards. I'm not saying one will lose their salvation, but the Word is very clear that one who does not give uh, their all to exercise godliness, to be sober, to be righteous, to be holy, will suffer loss when they have their works tried by fire as said in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 through 15. Be careful in how you build on the foundation of Christ and how you start in the race. Two things that a uh, person, uh, there was a herald in these, uh, and what Paul's talking about here in the context of the scripture, uh, he said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all that one received the prize. What he's talking about is the Ismithian Games, which is a, uh, it's kind of like, now it's just the Olympic Games. We have the Olympic, uh, the, the winter games uh, every four years. We have the summer games every two years. And, and so the idea of the Isthmian Games is basically like the summer games. It would happen every two years in the Olympiad. And the Olympiad was a four-year time period when athletes from all over the region uh, would prepare 
for the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games dated all the way back to the, to the Greeks. And there was heralds or judges during this time. There was two grounds of a castaway. One, it was if you don't keep the rules, then you were a castaway. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. First John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him, and he that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Do not be a castaway. Keep the rules. In the Isthmian games, if they did not keep the rules, they, uh, the judge would call out castaway. Second of all, they was uh, uh, looking to see uh, if everybody was given 100% in this game. He, uh, the second thing was for not giving your all in the competition. And we are to give our all in the race that is set before us just as Christ gave His all when He gave His life for us. Amen. He gave it all. In order to do the best you can, you've got to be spiritually fit. You say, preacher, how do I be spiritually fit? You can get spiritually fit by going in your prayer closet and praying. Seeking the Lord. Let the Lord speak to you in your prayer closet. See, a lot of times we just want to pray and ask for what we want. We don't ever pray to ask for the Lord to speak to us. And every time that I come into this church house, before I ever study, I pray and I say, Lord, I need you to speak to me today. Lord, I need to hear your voice today. Because if there's one thing that I'm going to win in, in my spiritual walk with God, it's going to be in my prayer closet. Now, some of you may not believe me, and that's fine. That's okay if you don't. But I can promise you this, that when I pray, I don't pray according to Ben Brewer's will. I don't pray according to my will or my wants or how I want to handle things. I pray that God's will will be done through me. I pray that God's will be done through the church. I pray that God's will be done through His Word. And in order to win, you must pray according to God's will and not your own. Another way that you can win is in your witness. When somebody sees you at work, somebody sees you uh, on the job, Shine your light. Let your light shine for Jesus Christ. If you see somebody who might be having a bad day, go up to them and ask them, Sir, ma'am, would it be all right if I prayed with you? You ain't got to tell them about Jesus. Just ask them if they'd like for you to pray with them. Another thing is listen to the Holy Spirit. Because you may encounter somebody in the grocery store that the Lord says, Go talk to that person. Be a witness for me. You can win in your witness. Another way is you can win in your faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. Even when you don't feel like it. Amen? Even when you don't feel like it, God rewards faithfulness. 
So be spiritually fit. Be on the winning side. And I'm going to try and bind the last two points up into one. Number three, we got to know what lies ahead. We got to know where we're headed. If you get in your car and you don't know where your destination is, you're going to wind up getting lost somewhere. Right? That's why Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. That's, that word straight means it's a difficult way. It's a hard way. You're going to have to endure things. You're going to have to press sometimes. But he said it's a narrow way. And when you're walking with Christ, they ain't no detours. But what the devil will do is he'll try and throw up an exit ramp and make you get off of it. you got to know what lies ahead so that you know how to get there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1-2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also combassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Hebrews chapter 6, about to lose contact up here. In Hebrews chapter 6, we see that the writer said, whether the forerunner, Jesus, has entered for us. He's the hope. He's the forerunner. He's already crossed over. He already knows what lies ahead. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But He said, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am there ye may be also. Listen, friend, He's got a mansion for us. If you are blood-bought by the blood of Christ, you have a mansion in heaven waiting on you. But not only that, if you read the Scripture, Paul, he talks about five different crowns in the Word of God. To the child of God, there will be a crown that God gives unto us once we cross over. Now, I'm no king here, but I'm a joint heir with Christ. And He's the King of all kings. So that makes us kings and queens, right? Princes and princesses. One day, we're all going to receive a crown. There's five different crowns. I, I read an article from Dr. David Jeremiah, and he wrote on the five crown rewards in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, we find that it's a victor's crown. That's what I'm preaching to you today, is that you can be a victor. Because Paul said in verse 24, So run that you may obtain. You can receive the victor's crown if you run a race well run. That victor's crown here in the Isthmian Games, it was like a bunch of uh, pine uh, leaves, uh, pine uh, twigs wrapped together, and it was a green uh, uh, a wreath-like uh, crown that they gave to him. But in heaven, I personally believe it's going to be gold. I might be wrong. That's okay. Life is full of good things that take our focus off the best Christ has to offer. It is up to us to identify them and to choose accordingly. Those who exercise such discipline will receive the victor's crown. 
Number two, the crown of rejoicing, which is written and found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Number three, the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He said, uh, here, let me read it to you. Second Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 8 this morning, he said, uh, in verse 7, he said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Number, verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. There's a crown of righteousness waiting on us. Number four, I find in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10 that there is a crown of life. A crown of life. And that's for those that have been blood-bought. Those that have been washed by the precious blood of Jesus. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4, there is a crown of glory. A crown of glory. So we see that there's a victor's crown there's a crown of rejoicing, there's a crown of righteousness, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. And I don't know about you, but I'd certainly like to receive a few of those crowns. Because I'd hate for one day to walk and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm standing there and Christ is judging me according to my works and my deeds, and I have failed to run a race well. It's an easy race. All He's asked us to do is run, to participate, to be involved, to do what He tells us to do. He's already won, amen? And so if we are in Him, we too can win. We're already winners. But I hate to stand before Christ and Christ look at me and, and examine my life after I've been saved and look in to the record book and say, well, Ben, you didn't do much after I saved you. I don't have anything to give you. Now, I'll enter in. But because I walked in disobedience and didn't do what God asked me to do, the Bible says we'll suffer loss. The loss of rewards. I'd hate to stand before Christ empty-handed. That's what I'm trying to say. I'd hate to stand before the one who gave his life for me empty-handed. was watching a TV show last night, and on there this lady went to visit somebody in the hospital, and they said, where's my gift? And the lady that was visiting was like, what are you talking about? And the woman that was in the hospital bed goes, well, usually when somebody comes and visits the hospital, you come bearing gifts. You come and bring something. And the, the lady that was visiting said, well, that's a religious ceremony. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in God or anything like that. What I'm trying to say is, I would hate to go into heaven not bearing any gifts. Okay? Because here's the thing. If you receive all five crowns, you're not going to be able to wear them all in heaven. You ain't going to want to wear them all. Because here's, here, here's my thinking. And I pray that I make the Lord proud of me.
proud enough to give me the five crowns. Because here's what I'm going to do. I want to carry them into heaven. When everything's said and done, I'm going to kneel down at His feet and I'm going to toss my crowns at His feet and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for helping me endure. Thank you for strengthening me when I was weak. Thank you for feeding me when I was hungry. Thank you for giving me drink when I was thirsty. Don't you want to lay a crown at the Savior's feet? Don't you want to give the King your crown? Think about it. Think about it this morning. Don't you want to have something to give back? He's gave it all. He's gave it all. And everything that's His is mine and yours too. But you got to be on the winner's side. Lastly this morning, we got to keep ourselves from being a castaway. Paul said in verse number uh, chapter 9, verse 14, he said, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Verse 16, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So if we're going to preach it, we must also live by it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 through 8, I've already read. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Keep yourself from being a castaway. Don't let the troubles of this life and don't let the pleasures of this life take you away from living of the gospel. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, a, a group of men who wrote several commentaries, once said, unless the soul keep the body under, the body will get above the soul. And the body may be made a good servant, but it is a bad master. It is a bad master. Our, our crowns that we will receive will be given to us so that we may cast them at the Savior's feet, at Jesus' feet in worship of His eternal goodness, holiness, grace, mercy, truth, and perfectness. You know... When we get to heaven, we're not only going to worship Him for what He did for us at Calvary, but we're going to worship Him for who He is. Amen. It ain't about just the single act that He done when He gave His life for all men, but it's about who He is. When we come into His house, when we come to church, we all not come and worship Him just because He's done something for us. 
Right? Man, it's easy to worship God when He's done something for us or gave us something, ain't it? That's not pure worship. Pure worship is when you come into His house or in your living room and you're able to say, thank you, Lord, or lift up holy hands in praise to Him because of who He is. Because of who He is. It's not about what He can do for you. It's about who He is. And it's about what you can do for Him. Let me say this. He don't need you. He don't need you. He don't need me. But this ought to make you feel good. He wants you. He wants you. And He wants me. And He wants to give us the crowns. He doesn't have to. Because I'll tell you this, we ain't deserving of it. We don't deserve a crown. We don't deserve any rewards or any prize. But He wants to reward His people because He loves us. What we all deserve is a, a devil's hell burning forever. But He loved us enough to give us everlasting life. If you don't have it today, you can find it right here at these altars. We'd be more than glad to pray with you. If you will, stand with us this morning.